Good, this is awesome. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Acts? And someone has told me that, Darren, sometimes you go too fast with the scriptures, so I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm going to give you a heads up. Put a finger in Isaiah 30, or make a note, and you can go there later. And some of you got to go to the table of contents. And I know it's harder to find, like, Jeremiah than it is Genesis. So it's going to be Isaiah 30 and Jeremiah 32. So now you'll be prepared. And when I say go there and I start reading, you'll know that I'm going to be there. So you'll be ahead of it, and you'll look very astute. And I also encourage you that if, if you have a notebook, to have it ready, not necessarily because I'm going to say something so mind-blowing, um, <laughs> but because God might speak to you. And if he does, I want you to check out and to listen to what he has to say and there's a, uh, he says to write it down in the Word. And I encourage you to do that. If he speaks to you, to write it down so that you don't forget it later. You can go back and revisit with the Lord. And, and, you know, I might say something clever or worth writing down. But for the most part, know that the Lord would like to write, you know, write down what he says to you. So Acts chapter 10. Two weeks ago. Now, I know last week it was Mr. Jim's world. And i got to tell you, I'm a little nervous following that. Like, I heard that was bonkers. I got so much proactive. Like, that was awesome. Uh, and I think the only thing that bums me the most is that Shannon and I were not here to enjoy that ourselves. But I heard it was amazing. And uh, next time he does that, Shannon and I will be here. We were at a little uh, uh, workshop last weekend that was also incredible. It was top five spiritual experiences of our lives. So it was good for us to be away. Uh, and also good to know that, hey, if I'm gone, this thing goes on without us, which is exactly what we want. This is not a one-man or one-woman show. This is a God show, and I am just like you, a participant in this big story that he's writing. Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need, prayed to God regularly. In verse 3, it says, One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Now Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, what is it, Lord? And the angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor. Interesting how much that comes up over and over again in scripture, isn't it? Also interesting how much I missed that for the first 35 years of my walk with the Lord. Your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. In verse 7, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. By the way, parenthetically, there's an angel right there. He could have actually preached the gospel to Cornelius, right? Why not? Why not close the deal right there? You're an angel, right? But God didn't choose the angel's for that. He chose us. Now someday it says that there's going to come a period of time, we call it the time of Jacob's trouble or the tribulation if you're a, uh, well never mind, I won't talk about that. But the, you know, the, the thing that's coming, and at some point during there, there actually will be angels flying through the atmosphere with little bullhorns preaching the gospel. But for now, for this side of heaven, that's our gig. He has called us with the privilege of doing that. Not the burden, but the privilege of it. And I would challenge and encourage you and me to really take that privilege and do something with it. Now, the great news is, is that if you're even just showing up here as a church, man, we're, 
the, the gospel was presented this week with the work that we're doing in the kingdom around the world. People's lives every day in Haiti are being changed. They're coming to Christ. What just happened in Africa is continuing to happen. People's lives are being changed. So just by being here, you are a part of presenting the gospel. But I also encourage you to put that in your everyday life, to be looking for those opportunities to tell the story of what God has done in you. Because the angels, they don't get to do it. I'm sure they're chomping at the bit. In fact, at one point, Peter, in this sort of cryptic passage, says that the angels look in on us, trying to understand and learn about the gospel of what happened. This fascinating thing to watch these humans, us, and how God loves us, that it's actually a thing that they learn from. So, parenthetically, meanwhile, back at Simon's house, <laughs> Acts 10.9. And about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry. Love Peter. Hungry. And he wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being lifted, let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, I live in Tennessee and I'm from Nebraska, so anytime God says to go kill and eat animals, we've got some people that are no, they're not afraid to go do that, right? So Peter is saying, yeah, he's saying to Peter, go kill and eat these things. Join the NRA. <laughs> he says, uh, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure or unclean that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, while Peter, verse 17, was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Now, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, this has really clearly rocked him, he's still thinking about it, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Now, Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have, uh, to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Father, would you give us enlightenment today as we encounter this story, this thing that happened 2,000 years ago? And let your word be a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. In Jesus' name, amen. About 10 or 15 years ago, there was a guy that died named Saul. Saul's wife in the, in the Great Depression, they had realized this problem going on in the world, which was the need to clean. Now, ladies, you understand the, 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 uh, uh, how your kitchen can get kind of turned upside down in a hurry. And men, you are aware of that, but not really other than just aware of it, that sometimes it needs to be cleaned. But in the Great Depression, they didn't really have any, you know, in the 30s, 20s, they really didn't have any good cleaning things. And so his wife actually came up with this vision, this idea of creating, and it was in a little town in Michigan, and they invented this thing called Spick and Span, okay? Uh, huge fans of the Spick and Span at my house growing up. Now, they invented the Spick and Span, and ultimately, 
this vision that carried on, and again, it's the Great Depression, money is tight, and, and this began, like, they had a vision to create this thing that literally became a nationwide phenomenon that ultimately Procter & Gamble took on, and they made billions of dollars. This family, whose head of household was Saul, a vision for clean. Now, obviously, Peter's got a little bit of a vision that has a little bit to do with getting stuff cleaned up, Right? God is giving him a vision that he is going to do something different in the world. Now, Peter, I love this, by the way. He's so consistent. He's, he goes up, he's going to pray, and what does he do? He falls asleep. Now, think with me. Jesus, not very long before that, he's in the garden. He's supposed to go pray with Jesus, and what does he do? He falls asleep. Right, so Peter's very consistent right, in this, and maybe you uh, can resonate with that, that one of the best ways to go to sleep is start praying. Right? It'll nod you right off. So he is falling asleep praying, but God wants to do something, and as God often does, when he wants to do something unique and big, he starts with a vision. He envisions, downloads a vision into a man or a woman. He did it with Moses. You remember Moses was walking through the desert. God intended to uh, free his people. And so here's Moses in the desert, and he sees a burning bush. Now, what's amazing to me about that, by the way, is that a burning bush in a desert region actually wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't that unusual. It's an arid climate, lightning strikes, and things happen. And so it wasn't that it was the, the bush that was on fire that was so remarkable. It was, A, that Moses even stopped to look at it to begin with, and B, that it wasn't consumed. But be that as it may, it was in that vision that God said, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to deliver my people. Paul, in a few chapters, we'll see, he's kind of wandering around and trying to figure out what's next. And he has this dream. He has this vision where God tells him, he shows him a man uh, in Athens and crying out for help. And, and, and Paul interprets that dream that I'm supposed to go to Europe. And God, through that, opens up this dream that opens up this door to bring the gospel to Europe, did it through a vision. Now, we obviously could go on and on and on, and you're like, Darren, please don't. There's a game on today. I know. I got your back. But he downloads a vision into Peter because he wants to do something big, just like he did with Moses, just like he did with Paul, just like he can, will, and maybe already has done through you and through me. In Proverbs 29, 18, Solomon will tell us that, you don't have to go there, by the way. I'm not going to read it. I should have given you that ahead of time, right? He tells us that without a vision that my people perish. Now, that word perish in the Hebrew is a word para, which basically doesn't necessarily mean to die. It basically means like wandering around aimlessly. Like if, um, like uh, last week, somebody drove by and said, hey, the sign is like the conduit sign is just flapping around in the wind. Thank God for the anointing of Joe Spino and his uh, wiring. And <laughs> because what had happened was it, it had come undone. The, 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 wire, the, uh, the bungee that held it down had come undone, and it was just flapping in the wind. And, and that word para, it, it denotes that where something has come undone, like a leash that has been removed, and it's just wandering around aimlessly. So he gives a vision that keeps me, that keeps you, that keeps us on track. We talked about the yoke two weeks ago where the yoke that is on us that's light, that's easy, but it keeps us tied to Jesus so that we're going the right way. We're not wandering around aimlessly. That is why he downloads a vision into us, to keep us yoked to him. He gives a vision. Now, that said, when I look at 
Peter. And I look at this little vignette, this little story in our text. Man, I see how it is that God can download a vision. We know why he wants to. He wants everybody in here to have a vision for their life. A vision that God will download into you. He wants you to have that. How does it happen? And some of you have already had it. See, you, know, you, can, you can say, yeah, this is right. This works for me. Or some of you are in a place where, I, man, I really don't have one. Great news. Because we can look here in Peter's life and see exactly how it happens. And first we see that Peter went away to pray. It says in verse 9 that about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, that Peter went up on the roof to pray. Uh, on the roof... In, in those days, and maybe it's still in this day, but they were flat, so you could actually go up on the roof as a, as a quiet place, away from the hustle, away from the bustle. And a quiet time, a quiet place, and a quiet heart, man, that's essential for God being able to speak to you. You say, I'm looking for a vision, but when it's not coming from the television, right? It's, it's, it's not coming from those sources, because maybe... Maybe you haven't given God the quiet place, quiet time, quiet heart. I mean, think of just like Jesus prayed. I mean, for crying out loud. If Jesus prayed, and he would do the same thing, he would go away to a quiet place, quiet his heart, in a quiet time, and pray and listen. And if we're not putting ourselves in a position, number one, and we're surrounded by noise, right? In our society, we're surrounded by noise, and I mean not just audio noise, but visual noise as well. We're assaulted by information. And man, I am chief of sinners among this. I mean, I was, I mean, this actually started when I was a kid. I was kind of a freaky little kid. But one of the things that I did was, I remember fourth, fifth, sixth grade, I would wake up in the morning. We had just gotten like the super cable, right? We had WTBS and wrestling and all that. But we also had CNN. And I would watch CNN headline news every morning at seven o'clock before school, fifth grade. And I was fascinated, riveted by it. To this day, I still love to know what's going on. But there are times, and it's something I have to work on in my life where I gotta just say, I gotta shut off the noise. I gotta shut off the information. And here's why, Isaiah 30, I warned you. It's on page 631. Isaiah 30, when you go to those sources and not to the Lord, right? Not to a quiet place, a quiet time, with a quiet heart. Here's what Israel happened. It's what happened to them. They were surrounded by the Assyrians. They had overtaken them. They needed help. They needed a vision. They needed to know what to do. What did they do? Did they go to the Lord and ask him? Oh, no. Oh, no. That's what I love about Israel. They show me that if God can love them, Man, he's got plenty of grace for me. <laughs> they didn't go to the Lord over and over again. They've seen this over and over, and here's God again. He says to them, the prophet says, Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord. To those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection and to Egypt's shade for refuge. Whenever you see the, the Egypt in the Bible, it's a metaphor for the world. God told Abraham to go to Canaan, and where does he go? He goes to Egypt. You see it. It's a, it's a metaphor for the world. Israel went to the world. They needed help. When you and I 
go to Oprah, when we go to Deepak, when we go to books like The Secret and we try to find what are we supposed to do with our lives, man, we are going to the world, not to the Lord. And, and here's what happens. Verse 3, but Pharaoh's protection, man, it'll be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. And I would ask you, you might be, you might be mad that I could have just you know, shot at Oprah, but how's that working for you? I mean, seriously, is it helping? Go to the Lord at a quiet time, and look what, here's what he says. Here's when it comes. Here's when you've gone to the Lord and not to the world, to, to a quiet time, a quiet place, and, and put yourself into that position. It says in verse 15, and in repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength. In that quiet moment, in repentance is your strength. Not Dr. Phil, not even Judge Judy, but in quietness and going to the Lord. And look, he says this in verse 21, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you. The King James says, whispering, saying, this is the way, walk in it. I don't know how many of you are there this morning. Well, I don't even know. Do I go right or I, I don't know which way to go. Do I go right? Do I go left? Which way do I go? In that quiet time, quiet place, with a quiet heart, you put yourself in a position for that voice to speak clearly to you, to me. Go this way. Go that way. In the quiet place. We see that Peter, man, he was prepared for his vision because it was just a part of his life. It was a part of Jesus' life. He modeled it. Peter followed through that, as did the rest of the disciples, and we ought to follow it as well. It ought to be a regular part of our life to proactively shut off the noise, shut off Facebook, shut off Twitter, and go to the Lord at a quiet place in a quiet time. The second thing that I see from Peter's little story here, go back to Acts 10 with me if you would, is that not only was he then prepared for this vision, but man, he had... A light bulb moment in the vision, an illumination that was happening in there. It says two different times, well, Peter was still thinking about this vision. Now, understand, he wasn't just thinking about it because God's saying to them, bacon, open season on bacon, right? Very pro-bacon. And this was revolutionary to him, but it wasn't just about the bacon. See, God was about to rock Peter's world from the inside out. He was about to rock the world from the inside out, because he's about to kick the door down for the gospel to go to the whole world. If you weren't a Jew in that day, the early church, which was completely staffed by, for lack of a better word, Jewish leaders, they were taught from the time they were born, in, in, in fact, in the Mishnah, they were taught that Gentiles were good for nothing but fueling the fires of hell, okay? We were kindling for hell. They, they literally thought we were unworthy, unclean. And so what God was doing was illuminating in Peter's life this vision that wasn't just about bacon, although very pleased that it was. Bigger than that, he was kicking down the doors wide open to the gospel being presented to the entire world. Bacon was just a start. But here's the thing, if, if, you've, already, and if you've already been to the quiet place, quiet time, and God has downloaded a vision in you, you might be still trying to make sense of what does it even mean in my life? Should I, what is this, 
me and I've talked with three of you guys this week who've had things that God is stirring in you and you're still trying to put, in fact, one guy put it this way to me. He said, it's like I'm trying to put clothes on the vision now. I'm trying to clothe it to figure out what it is I'm supposed to do with it, an illumination of it. Now, keep in mind that Peter was prepared before this vision of flying bacon ever came. He had been prepared because he'd been taken to the Gentiles already. I mean, he was taken to Simon the Tanner's house. Now, a tanner is not just somebody on the hills who's done some fake tanning, okay? It was actually different. It was actually a tanner meant like a leather maker. Like, it was disgusting. If you see, you see the Mike Rove's Dirty Jobs where they went to the leather shop, disgusting, okay? This was such a disgusting job that if you were, again, in the Mishnah, they were taught that if you were a Jewish woman and you, or your husband then became a tanner after you were married, you're allowed to walk. It is unclean. It is gross, and God sent Peter to the Tanner's house. Now, obviously, it would have been easy to find because he could have smelled it on the way into town. I grew up in a, the Midwest, and boy, you could smell those feedlots. Of course, my dad, you probably already know this if you grew up in the Midwest. Smells like money, son, to me. Didn't like to me. It smelled like crap to me. Okay, that's what it smelled like. Now, it, what it smelled like to Simon the Tanner was that. You're like, this is disgusting. And here is God taking Peter to this disgusting place. And it says he kept him there for a while. He was in Joppa for a while. God was slowly unpacking the vision that Peter had for himself and replacing it with the vision that God was downloading into his heart. He took that step number one. And I'd say that to you to say that if you have got a vision that God is putting in your heart, look along the way of your life. You'll, you'll realize if it's from the Lord that there will have been little signposts, little things along the way of God saying, yeah, this is my vision for you. Peter started with Simon the Tanner. He's now, you know, at Tanner's house, and he's being seen flying bacon, flying reptiles and things that he could now eat that were unclean. And he said, God says to him, don't call anything unclean that I have called clean. And here's Peter looking at Simon the Tanner, unclean, surrounded by Gentiles, unclean, and God saying, don't call anything unclean that I have called clean. Peter's life is being rocked. So his illumination in this vision. Now, parenthetically, think with me on this for just a minute. He's hungry. God speaks to him in his natural appetite. He's got an appetite for something, for food, and God doesn't beat him over the head. He's just using that natural inclination in his life, the appetite that God gave him naturally, speaking to it through that. Now, this week alone... Man, I was talking, I hope Eric doesn't mind me sharing this, but Eric and I were talking, Eric Faley, and, and we were having a little Meredith's, kind of a girly lunch, honestly, if I'm being honest, but, you know, Meredith's. Um, and he's saying, man, you know, we're talking about, just want to live life flat out for, we didn't say flat out, but flat out for God, for the purposes of church. So what he said, I want to live flat out for God, whatever he wants me to do. That natural appetite that happens to, and if you're, a, especially if you're a man in your 30s, listen to this, because you're going to come to a point, if you haven't been there, you're going to reach there, where you're going to say, man, this is great. Got the job, got a house, got a car. Is that it? We call that a midlife crisis. Now, normally, that appetite would be fed with something like a little red sports car. You know, our society has gone so far as to say, well, I'll just trade in my wife for a new one then. I, I'm this midlife crisis happening, this appetite 
of these things that we think we're supposed to feed it with, God spoke to Peter in a natural appetite in his life and fed it. And I would say to you, and I'd say to me, that if you've got that natural appetite, is that, A, is, that, is there more? The answer is, oh yeah. And two, to say to you that all those things that you thought you were supposed to feed it with and satiate it with, there's a whole bigger world out there. I, you know, it's the same thing with Greg Swinford. We were talking, and, and I actually made the comment. It's kind of like the new cool midlife crisis. And he was like, oh, man, I hope it's not a midlife crisis. You know, he's thinking, oh, no, I just quit my job. And, you know, and, but I was able to say, I don't think that's it. I think God put that natural desire in your heart, and now he's telling you what to feed it with, which is this whole new world of, of serving just completely flat out for the Lord. What better way to grow old in front of your kids than them watching you walk away from something important to you and giving your life to the Lord? I mean, I know that we've done a great job in America of building ridiculously multi-million dollar youth facilities and 85% of our kids are still walking away from the Lord. Maybe we're doing something wrong. You know, it's, what is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and then expecting a different result, Right? I don't know what we're fighting for, but for me, walking away from the company that God started for me, and God was in that company through the last almost 10 years of our life. He was in there. But God asking me to walk away from it, I can think of nothing more for my kids than to be able to look them in the eye 20 years from now and to say, yeah, we did it. We may not have a whole bunch of money, but we did it. We may not have a multi-million dollar anything, let alone a youth facility, but we did it. And I just got to believe that that vision that God downloaded into us that he's downloading into you is a way better way to live. He illuminated the vision in him. Now, finally, he did this for him. If you have that vision in your heart, you might be like me, where you think, because let me tell you what, when God said, hey, Darren, conduit, that's a great little Bible study. How about let's call it a church? I was unprepared for that. I needed some confirmation of that. And if you have a vision from the Lord, the, there's, you don't have to wonder, is it gas or is it God? You have a way of knowing if it's God. There will come a confirmation for you. Jeremiah 32. Because Peter, he's sitting there. God tells him, this is what's going to happen. And he hears a knock on the door. It was a knocking. It was a confirmation of what God had told him to do. And if you are wondering, man, God, is this really what you want me to do? Trust me, you don't have to guess. God will send confirmations. And the moment between the vision and the confirmation that sometimes takes a long time, how long was Peter in Joppa? For a while. Man, that's a great time for you to lean on the Lord, to trust on the Lord, waiting patiently for the vision, for the confirmation of the vision. But even Jeremiah, the great prophet, even he struggled with that. Is it really you, God? Is it, is it your word or is it just me? When he says in verse 9 of 32, Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalem, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field at Ananoth, because as a nearest relative, it's your right to buy it. In verse 8, Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, Buy my field. And then in verse, at the end of verse uh, 8, 9 there, it says, I then knew, the King James, I love it, and then I knew, that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field. Jeremiah, is it real? Is that God? Is it gas? What is it? I don't know. But then I knew because God sent a confirmation. God will confirm it. 
Don't jump before you get the confirmation. For me, I needed about 150 confirmations. Stubborn, stupid, or some combination. I just needed some confirmations. A year ago this month, we're sitting at a little coffee shop. I'm sitting with Jim Henderson. You know him as Mr. Jim, who was here last week, destroying the place with marshmallows. And I was little, I mean, I've got four kids, you know, how do I, if I go do something stupid, you know, I want to make sure my kids are taken care of. And that was a real thought for me, a real worry, a real fear. And God, I'm sitting at coffee with Jim. We haven't told anybody. I mean, my wife knows, maybe a couple other people at that point. And Jim is talking about where he's at. And he says, I'm really frustrated where I am. And God was leading him. And, he's, and he said, out of his mouth, he said, you know, Darren, uh, you know, Don and I were talking and. Man, if you said you were starting a church, man, we'd be there tomorrow. Now, I didn't spit coffee out my nose, but I came awfully close. Because I'd been alive 39 years, okay? 38 at that time. Ain't nobody said that to me, ever. And in those months that led up, I started all of a sudden hearing from different people. Dude, man, why don't you, 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 you should start a church. We'd be there if you started a church. And I'm like, this is crazy talk. And, and anybody that was around me saying, no, that's stupid. We ain't going to do that. We, we, we were out of church. We love our church. But Jim was a really big shining moment for me because I knew that that guy, my kids were taken care of. God sent me a confirmation. It was a knock at the door saying, it's confirmed. <laughs> now, I got 50 more of them just because you're that stubborn, but it's confirmed. The vision that he downloaded into me Started when I was in fifth grade and, like I said, a freaky little kid watching CNN. But, man, I was obsessed with the Bible. I mean, obsessed, like crazy. Like, I'd be up at night with a flashlight reading Chronicles in my, under my blanket. Like, weird stuff, you know? And I didn't think about it weird until I got kids that age going, oh, my goodness, man, what kind of a freak was I? Like, but I'm obsessed with the Bible. And then in my 30s, we start a Bible study. Okay, again, not a church, not an option. But it's a Bible study. Very harmless. No responsibility. Teach the Bible and then go back to their pastors with all their problems. Right? That felt free to me. So I'm teaching the Bible. God was preparing me. He'd sent me to Joppa for a while. Because he had something big that I was clearly not ready to accept. And it was going to take some time. It was going to take some confirmations. It was going to take some time in Joppa. It was going to take some real vision. It was going to take some real confirmation to say that this is what he wanted us to do. And I would say to you this morning, and again to me, man, that God has a vision for you. Like individually, you specifically. Not just me. And not just corporately as a church. He's clearly given us a vision. People's lives are radically changed. Little babies woke up this morning in a house in Haiti. Because of a vision that he has for you. But I want you to know he has a vision for you individually. And I want to encourage you this morning in your quiet place, in your quiet time, with your quiet heart, to be listening for that vision. And I also want to challenge you and say to you, Saul DeVries, the guy that became a billionaire, that vision for his life, which was to become rich and prosperous, when he died a few years ago, in his will, he asked that his ashes be poured down the sink and the toilet. He died a miserable old man, his life down the drain. Because Jesus said, what does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? 
Your vision, if it's from God, is not about you. It's about him, and it's bigger than you ever thought. Peter would go on to say, in verse 34, when he gets to the house, to Cornelius' house, he says in verse 34, and then Peter began to speak. I now realize it is true that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. It wasn't about bacon for Peter. It was that God loved everybody, loved you and I, that this vision that happened for Peter 2,000 years ago is a direct result of why you and I can even sit here today. Because it wasn't just about the Jewish people. It was bigger than that. It was about the Jewish people. And God is not done with the Jewish people. But it's about you and I being welcomed in. It was never his will that the Jews would shut off to the outside world. In Isaiah, the prophet said that, you are to be a light shining to the world. I'm going to bless you, and then the other, all the other nations will know and will come unto you. That was his will and his desire, but they had shut off to the outside world, and now he's opening it up, kicking the door down. And I would say to you this morning that that vision that God has to you that is bigger than you, bigger than bacon, as good as bacon is, bigger than bacon, as he is confirming it, knocking on the door, what does it say in Revelation that I stand at the door and knock? Keeping in mind, that sounds great in an altar call, but he wasn't talking to an unbeliever. He was talking to the church, to the church. I'm knocking at the door. Would you open up and let me in? And I think some of us this morning, that that vision, we got to open the door. Peter had to get, get up, Peter, and go down. He had to move. And my question is, are you ready to move for what God has in your life, for that vision that he has got in your life? And I would say this as well. If you're here this morning, and man, you have never had a vision in general of, man, Jesus being in a relationship with Jesus in your life. Look what Peter says to you. This is to Cornelius. Man, he heard them, heard these words that Peter said. By the way, Cornelius, a good man. He gave to the poor. He was a devout man. But he was not a Christian. He had not received Jesus into his life, had not had a relationship with him. And God sent a little guy named Simon Peter to preach the gospel to him. And then Peter said in verse 47, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they were baptized in the name of Jesus. God wants to give you a vision, period, in the waters of baptism. In the waters of God saying, you go down in the waters of baptism and you come up a new man, a new woman with a new vision, a new view of life because of God's forgiveness of your sins. If you've never taken a first step with a relationship with Christ, I don't know everybody here. I want to ask you to just take a look and think, man, have I, am I Cornelius? Am I a good guy? Am I a good girl? Am I done some good stuff? But man, I don't have a relationship with Christ. I want to invite you to do that this morning. Are you ready to move? Are you ready? If, the, if Jesus is knocking on your heart today to come to salvation, would you answer the door? Would you come in? And maybe you've got that relationship with Christ, but you've never been baptized before. Next week, we're bringing in the mobile assault baptismal unit, Mabu, and we're going to park it out here, and we're going to be baptizing folks. Does baptizing get you to heaven? Uh-uh. But, this wedding ring doesn't make me married either, but I wear it 
Because it's an outward sign of of a commitment that I made inward. Everywhere I go, people know that I am married, that I made a commitment to my wife because I wear this ring. That's what baptism is. I'm just making an outward decision to show everybody that I'm going to die in my sins and be resurrected in Christ in a new life with a new vision. Lots to chew on this morning as we worship. I'm going to be standing right up here like I always do. And I would encourage you that if you've got, if you want to take that step and have a relationship with Christ and have a new vision in your heart, to, to come talk to me. I want to pray with you. If you want to be baptized and say, yeah, I want to, I want to have that outward sign and a new vision that comes from a new life. Come see me. and We'll do that next week. Parents, we've talked about it, but if your kids want to get baptized, I encourage you as a father to baptize your kids. We'll let you do that. We encourage you to do that. If you don't want to, I'll be glad to do it too, but know that it's an option. But for the vision that you have in your own life, the vision that God is downloading into your life, and I look, I know in this room, because I've talked to some of you guys, God has given you some visions. And I know that they are bigger than what you thought, bigger than what you've dreamed. Take some time to think about it like Peter did, the implications of this vision. It's bigger than bacon. It's bigger than what's right in front of you. God has downloaded it into you. Take a quiet time in a quiet place with a quiet heart. We have the communion available every week here. What what better place to quiet your heart before the Lord than at the table, reminding yourself of what he did for you? And maybe this morning you just got to keep looking for the, listening for the knock, listening for the confirmation that it's God. And if you're in that period of your life, rest in that. Don't go to Egypt. Don't go to the world to figure it out. Rest in it. And God will whisper in your ear, turn right or turn left. He always does. God, would you illuminate our steps this morning? Be a light to our paths. Speak to our hearts. The vision that you've given us, the vision that you are giving, the vision that you are about to give, that we would see it clearly, that you would knock on our hearts and confirm it. And God, thank you for giving us this, this family that didn't even exist a year ago, but because of a vision, here we are. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts this morning? In Jesus' name.